Welcome back to Streamageddon, where we are always listening, Seattle and other cities, wherever you happen to be, because we are here to listen to your concerns, complaints, and uh, fears and anxieties about the streaming universe. That's what we do on Streamageddon with me, your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined by the Roz to my Dr. Crane, Diane Nora. I love Roz, Diane. I hope you know that. That's high praise. Yes. Yes, wow. I knew we were in good company, because in this episode, we are talking about not one, but two Fraser Cranes. Fraser versus Fraser. Fraser, uh, parentheses, 1993, versus Fraser parentheses, 2023. Real catchy reboot title there, because yes, we watched the Fraser reboot, so you perhaps don't have to. But, but either way, we're going to share our love of Dr. Crane and family a little later in this episode, where, where we both came uh, prepared with two classic episodes where we will convince you, jaded Frasier-phobe, that original Frasier mm, is so worth your time. And then also we'll talk about the new one. Oh, Frasier, how the years have changed you. Oh my, indeed. But the years will never change us and our commitment to the latest streaming news, beginning uh, with some timely follow-up. We have talked so much about what's going on at Max, and we mentioned uh, something I've had a chance to take part in, so I'm going to share my experience with Yes. This is CNN. Max. I am a big fan of CNN Max, Diane. It happened. I turned into a middle-aged man. Congratulations. I'm so, so glad that you're enjoying it. Oh, it's amazing. May I ask, are you a regularly a CNN fan? Because it seems that no. quite a lot of CNN has made its way to Max. Yeah, a lot of CNN has made its way to a streaming platform that I already engage in. And that was the hurdle. <clears throat> NBC, <clears throat> Peacock, you've got a, an MSNBC just waiting to put in Peacock. But it's too late. You canceled my free Peacock, so never mind. But Max is a product I know and hypothetically love. Sure, why not? We'll say that. I love you, David Zaslav. Uh, and CNN is a brand I feel whatever about. There are parts of CNN I enjoy, such as Jake Tapper making that Jake Tapper face when somebody says something stupid or insane to him. And I now know Jake Tapper, the lead, 4 p.m. on uh, CNN Max. I'm just a huge Tap fan now. Tap that. Oh, I wish. Uh, but then Wolf comes on and I, I close the app. But that is more CNN than I have consumed in the last, I want to say, four years. Wow. So it, it's sticking. It's huge. I, I was traveling recently and I really embraced the fact that while a lot of world and Washington news was going on, I mean, truly uh, unprecedented times, as they say, from wars in multiple countries to uh, chaos on Capitol Hill, this is cable news network fodder because all I wanted to do was kind of dip in while I'm waiting for my flight and see, hey, is there a speaker of the house? Nope. Is Jake Tapper making that face? Yep. Ooh, that's the ticket. Okay, so can I ask, is there a limit to the amount that they could have this as an upcharge where you'd say, hey, this is still worth it? I've been thinking about this so much now because the, the big pitch to me is it's included with my Mac subscription. I do mm -hmm. not need to think, do I need it? Do I want it? How much is it worth? 
if the news gets really quiet again, I might not open it for a month. But it just so happens the news was very noisy for a week that I was traveling and had a lot of time with my phone and the Apple TV at my parents' house or whatever streaming box you happen to own. And you know, uh, being able to pull up CNN Max quickly, jump in, jump out, was really nice. I would also say I preferred it to the actual CNN that my parents could put on their actual Xfinity cable uh, for a couple of reasons. It's most of the good programming on CNN Max. And then there are some shows, I, I really couldn't tell you which, that are not part of CNN Max for contractual reasons. But what's really different is the midday, just kind of like, here's somebody reading headlines to you. You don't know who they are. This is just the middle of the day airport news roll. Is, is the filler. That's the filler on CNN Max. If they don't have programming, they just fill it in with a normal human telling you actual news live. Huge. That is all I want. As opposed to, again, to pick on Peacock, their weird idea of a live quote-unquote news channel in the Peacock app was NBC News Now. And anytime I tried to watch the news now on NBC News Now... What I got was a pre-recorded kind of filler bit that felt like it should be an hour four of the Today Show. Hey, this person dressed as Elmo is also a private eye who raises money for an orphanage. Let's learn more about them with Al. Not at all what I would tune into live news now for. And so, you know, just they got the bare minimum viable product correct. That's so fascinating because that product that you're describing, just a person reading you the news, kind of sounds like the product that Chris Licht was pitching CNN as. It's so but weird. Actually, what the product result was. So I'm glad that that is coming about. I mean, I love an educated populace. Right. I will say Chris Licht was making a big thing about like no opinion, no tilt. And I did just call out my favorite part of CNN besides just news, please, is Jake Tapper's face, which is all opinion and all tilt in the eyebrows. Mm, Good brows. Oh, great brows. Uh, But to your question, what would I pay for this? Nothing beyond what I am paying for a Max subscription. But if Max raised prices... I would be more amenable to that price hike because I am getting more perceived value out of the max bundle. Gotcha. No, that that makes good sense. And listen, a year from now, peak of the presidential campaign, they could convince me that this is worth $5 a month. But I, I think the risk there is you make me think about it. And as soon as you make me think about is it worth X amount extra, odds are I'm going to say no. But if you just raise the price of Max by $5 in a year, yeah, I'll probably pay it. And we'll also see, I mean, in a year, you might have gotten really used to this habit of watching CNN on Max, CNN Max. So then, you know, it might say you might say, hey, $5 a month, I could do it. I could swing it. Yeah. And they they do also get to show me more ads. Currently, they do not show many ads. If you watch CNN Max, you will see some real ads, but you will see a ton of CNN filler stuff, which if you've ever been at like a hotel in Asia, you realize is what they put on CNN International when they don't have any ads to fill the breaks in CNN International. So I can tell you like every 20 minutes, CNN Max gives me the world temperatures for today's forecast 
in Celsius. I always know what's the high and low in New York today in Celsius because that's how they display it on CNN Max because you are just sometimes watching the CNN International filler. Great. Which one, I love CNN International, it's the best version of CNN, and two, that just tells me there's a ton of unsold ad inventory for CNN Max. It's a new thing, obviously they didn't, you know, pre-plan selling a ton of ad inventory because they had no idea how many people would be there to watch it. But in the long run, I say to you, David Zaslov and company, uh, you do not ask me for $5 a month for CNN Max. You say, hey Chris, it's included, and we're going to make you watch a ton of ads just like you do on CNN regular, that's how you make the money when you run a cable news network. And maybe they can specialize those ads to you that oh, for in a the way love of the God, please. Because when I was watching CNN on my parents' TV, it is nothing but Medicare, en enrollment windows, are you ill, which uh, prescription drug do you need today? Hi, AARP members. Oh. We know you're watching. Oh, man. The, the second the Medicare enrollment window opens up, oh, man, I am so sorry for anyone who has to witness the actual commercials on CNN. Someday that'll be us with luck. <laughs> I did begin this segment by saying I've fully turned into a middle-aged man, and I guess the proof is in the pudding. Delicious pudding. Just like I will soon apparently enjoy. But that is my check-in on the exciting world of CNN Max. As more news develops, I'm sure I will tell you all about, not the news, my experience of experiencing it on CNN Max. But speaking of news, there's also fake news. Specifically, another follow-up for us, our constant check-in with what is happening at The Daily Show, where I did watch one episode uh, this past week with uh, Michael Costa hosting. He, he got a nice little viral bump because he did a funny bit around the House Speaker debacle where he said, you know, sometimes you should just give it to the guy who's already in the chair as he was sitting in the chair at the time. Very funny, a humorous uh, jibe about wanting to be host of The Daily Show. When a friend sent this to our group chat, someone replied, that's funny, but who is he? To which I responded, Michael Costa's been a correspondent on The Daily Show for seven years. Oof, I guess mm. though, mm, maybe his previous bits were not going viral quite as well? Rough. Ruff, he's funny. I like him. And I like him as part of that Trevor Noah era correspondent team. But the Trevor Noah era correspondent team is the key phrase there. And there are not, it's funny, there are some like Roy Wood Jr. who have really broken out and become sort of household names, but not all of them. The other interesting thing to me about that is does Comedy Central want a household name? Because Trevor Noah, when he became host, was not a household name, really. No. You know, and I think that that was part of what they liked about him. To replace someone like Jon Stewart, you really needed an energy that felt fresh and different. And he provided that, but was not already famous, though he did have a lot of experience. Uh, maybe they want the idea of, you know, someone new. Yeah, and certainly someone new does not command a, a really hefty paycheck. <laughs> Might be part of the factor there, as uh, Paramount is increasingly, I think, uh, an organization on a budget, especially mm -hmm. their cable properties. Rest in peace, uh, all of the MTV Entertainment Group except for The Daily Show. Rough. 
rough. But you know, what's not rough are some of the names coming up in the guest list of The Daily Show guest hosts. I have a few highlights here, more in the show notes. Uh, We already mentioned Michael Costa. Uh, Coming up next week after you hear this episode, Charlemagne the God. A week after that, uh, in early November, Sarah Silverman returns. I was a big fan of her first hosting stint, followed uh, the second week of November by Leslie Jones. I was also a very big fan of her first hosting stint. Uh, Then there is a news team takeover after Thanksgiving, and uh, the last week of November, Michelle Wolf of uh, much funny fame is joining to host, as she has not done it yet, unless I am uh, having a minor stroke. Uh, I'm excited about that upcoming list, to be honest. You know, it is dragging on too long, but the strike is a large portion of why it's dragging on too long, so I cannot fault them for that. No, I, I and Michelle Wolf hasn't, but she did the White House Correspondence yes. Dinner to some controversy. So I'm kind of intrigued that they've put her in this lineup. Yeah, I actually, um, because me too. sometimes it seems like what they want is someone who won't be controversial or just someone who won't be controversial for a short enough time that people can get too upset, you know? I, I'm interested because the other flip side of this uh, is that kind of unnecessarily, in my opinion, uh, people at MTV Media Group, Comedy Central, leaked to the press last weekend that they have definitively told Hasan Minhaj he is not getting the job. And they leaked this to the press through uh, the delightful Matt Baloney and Puck and uh, the town. And uh, he's doing his job as a reporter, but... I don't know why they had to make this known a second time. We already knew he wasn't getting the job. I I guess maybe there was some doubt somewhere in the industry. Why does anything like this happen in the industry trades? It's because somebody needed to make it explicit. But boy, it just was a weird headline. Like, yeah, dude, of course they told him no. They already told him no publicly in an awkward spat in the trades. The only thing I could think of is that maybe they were getting some bad press about everything happening with Roy Wood Jr. And they were like, but we're also still not hiring Hassan Minaj. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But um, why add insult to injury? Well, when when you work at Chris McCarthy's division, I guess the answer is why not? That's a throwback, a deep cut for our listeners who've been keeping tabs on who we like and don't like. But I'm not I'm not tipping any hints here because I want any job that any of these awful people would ever offer me. I will eat all my words. uh, Same. You know who else is probably going to eat a lot of their words as the saying, I guess, goes? People who are miffed about our big story this week. Yes, we're talking about... The price hike at Netflix. It's coming again for not the last time. And I think if you're really complaining about this, you're probably going to sign up again for Netflix in six months when they have Stranger Things Part 12 or whatever. So I I do think uh, many people are crying wolf. Not the good kind, Michelle Wolf. The other kind, the I'm canceling my Netflix wolf. The dick wolf. The dick wolf, thank you. Uh, But you know, there is some truth to... This Netflix be very expensive now. It really is. For premium Netflix, it's going to be twenty three ninety nine a month. Twenty three? I thought it was twenty two. Twenty three ninety nine. Is it? Is it? Wait, is it twenty two? Twenty two ninety nine. You gave me such okay. a panic. 
Okay, I think I was round, rounding up to 23, and then and then I added But honestly, I believed you. I was like, oh, geez, even worse than I thought. That's still too much. You can't go over 20. 1999, that was it. No, and the key thing that many people have pointed out, so I feel I must point it out as well, is that is the only plan that includes 4K. So it's not just, oh, you're sharing it with your kids at college and your spouse who travels all the time and your sister-in-law. This is the package for just, I am a single person with 4K. And and if you're a single person who values 4K that much, I guess you can afford $23.99. You don't have to shell out $112 a year to Disney Plus to keep your child happy watching Bluey. That's a topic for later. But... Uh, I, I do think, like, listen, it is not unrealistic to want to watch some of the, like, marquee Netflix properties in particular, like Stranger Things in 4K. But they're saying that's $23 or bust. That's a lot of dollars for Netflix. I, I'm i a Netflix apologist, but that seems like a lot based on their most recent output. Yeah, based on their most recent output is a a good caveat there. I would compare it, though. We talked uh, recently about how Netflix is kind of back to the old game of having some really great licensed content like Dune. And, And Dune is a big get if you're a 4K movie buff. That is catering to that higher tier in some ways. But... I don't subscribe to Netflix for the licensed content as much as I used to. I am there much more for what is Netflix doing for me. And in that regard, I agree. Like, Netflix has not given me a new series that I would spend $23 to watch a month of, let alone $23 a month all year. Right. Maybe maybe one month of Black Mirror. Maybe it would make me condense a lot of my Netflixing into some, some real concentrated chunks. Uh, but also... The new season of Black Mirror is not that great. They're also making fewer new movies. The shows that they are making, it seems like every time I like something, it's canceled after season two. Yeah. So, Which uh, just leads me to go, why would I keep subscribing? If, if I'm holding out hope that my favorite shows are right around the corner again, they're coming on back. Well, that's motivation to not cancel, uh, not churn. But in this case, like, man, if I'm, I'm staring down a month of no new Netflix releases and I have been paying for the 4K tier, I don't know why I would not cancel for at least that month. What are you giving me that's worth that money? Suits? Suits. Just $23 worth of suits a month. Was it originally in 4K? No. But now you can spend 4K money to watch Suits again think they're counting on people doing that uh, sure but hey let's look at the other side of this equation because diane if i told you netflix is 23 dollars a month i think i know your answer that's too much man what if i told you netflix was seven dollars a month what would you say to that i could watch some ads hey i think that's what they want you to say because they did not raise the price of the ad supported plan which is still seven dollars a month and they did remove one of the biggest limitations on the ad-supported plan. Previously, you could not download and watch offline with ad-supported Netflix. Now, you can. What a future to live in. This seems great, and I could see this being very helpful for anyone who travels for work, um, anyone who's, like, sharing an account, too, even though 
I suppose you're not supposed to be anymore. But if you're trying to find a, a way to work around that, you know, if you're headed to your second address, which Netflix doesn't approve of, you could download some content on the way. I, I There's another little difference I want to point out here that's buried in the chart of Netflix prices now. Uh, the standard with ads, which they used to call basic with ads, but now it's not basic. Now it's the standard. Uh, standard with ads lets you watch on two screens simultaneously, so you can share standard with ads. Now, if you upgrade to $12 a month for basic, no ads, just basic, basic, which was uh, had its price raised as part of this round of price hikes, they raised the premium and they raised basic. They did not touch standard with ads. Uh, basic only gives you one screen. So you could upgrade from standard with ads. You could spend $5 more per month and get something that you can only watch on one screen. So if you're sharing your Netflix with someone else, you either need to both agree to watch ads or you need to upgrade all the way to the standard plan, which is $15.49 a month. And they left that intact. That was $15.49 a month before the price hike. It's $15.49 a month after the price hike. But just compare numbers. Standard with ads, $7 a month. Standard without ads, $15.50 a month. That is an over 100% price increase just to avoid the ads. I suppose they have to make up that revenue some way. Yes, they do. But that's not the only thing Netflix wants to invest heavily in. It's not just uh, ads that you'll watch at home. They want to invest in ads that you will go to in person. Uh, specifically, they are launching retail destinations in 2025. I just sure, that's far enough in the future. We can say they're going to do anything in 2025. Uh, but according to Bloomberg, and we have a link from The Verge in the show notes, so you do not need to cross that paywall, uh, Netflix is talking about what they're going to call uh, Netflix House. I hope that's a working title, but you could go to Netflix House, and at Netflix House, you could eat at Netflix-themed restaurants, buy Netflix-themed merch, and I guess kind of go to one of those installations that travel, like, you know, in New York, you can go to the friend's house now, where they have a fake version of, like, Joey's apartment and a fake version of the coffee shop. I went to one once for Schitt's Creek that was in, like, a loft in Chelsea with a fake version of the motel and a fake version of Moira's dressing room. Sure, that's a thing. I don't know if it's worth investing permanent retail space in but okay sure have you ever done one of those like pop-up installation things you know i haven't but i've been interested in some of them like there are shows that i would go to their pop-up um if it were convenient and inexpensive um, i think part of what they're relying on is looking at consumer habits and seeing that like experiences like this are popular right now and then also reinforce those consumer habits of you know, watching the content. I just don't have that kind of relationship with any Netflix original content. No, me, me neither. Like, Stranger like, what Things. What, are you going to go to the Orange, maybe... in the Orange is the New Black is the prison? No, <laughs> honestly, I the, the one that I would be most motivated to do or the ones I would be most motivated to do are shows that are over. Like, Orange is mm -hmm. the New Black, I would have gone to an installation based off Litchfield Penitentiary. Yeah, that sounds fun and weird. I, I, I can't think of a current Netflix show I'd want to do that for. I mean, I'm guessing that 
they could do something cool with the Upside Down. That's the obvious one. But also by 2025, like, God willing, Stranger Things will be over. I keep seeing headlines where Millie Bobby Brown is just walking around saying, I can't wait to no longer be 11. And honestly, and I, I can't wait either. Let her go. Let her be free. Yeah, really talented young cast. Let them go do things. I mean, I think they're counting on Stranger Things having a longer life. I mean, they wanted to go to Broadway. Uh, eventually, they'll have a successful spinoff, right? Uh huh. Yeah, they tried that. It was so unsuccessful, they didn't even make the spinoff. They did a classic backdoor pilot, which I respect. And it was so bad, no one ever speaks of that episode. Rough. Yeah, you know. But you know, that's not the only rough patch in the streaming universe right now. I I'm going to move beyond Netflix. We, we love you, Netflix, though you cost too much. Um, and maybe your ads are going to be a, a grand old time. We're all going to find out, uh, I think, upsettingly soon. In the meantime, we can go be upset about someone else. Specifically Disney Plus, which I'm thrilled to announce I do not care about this price hike because I am, full disclosure, using my sister's Disney Plus login and she is clearly sharing it with so many people that I expect it to implode on us by the end of the year. And uh, you know what? That is my sister's problem, not my problem, because I'm not going to pay for Disney Plus. If you get booted off it... In the middle of a season, what will you do? I will read the recaps on the AV Club. <laughs> I have moved on. Even the new season of Loki. You know what? The recaps explain what happened just as well as the show does. And while I would miss the delightful Hiddleston uh, Wilson repartee, I also don't get very much of the delightful Hiddleston Wilson repartee watching the show because it's not a very good show. We can debate that at a later time. <laughs> I can't believe I'm the one standing up for Disney Plus. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure Disney Plus is worth this price hike. No, any more now than at any other time this year. It is a brutal price hike. If you are not like deep in the Disney Plus weeds, or if you are not getting your Disney Plus renewals. Which is how most people are learning about their Disney Plus price hike. I just see screenshots of people posting the old subscription price and the new subscription price because they have to tell you before they do it. And everyone is just gobsmacked because it is once again like a 100% nearly price increase. I am only slightly exaggerating. Um... Uh, previously, and so much of this depends on how you bundle it. Mm -hmm. Do you have the Hulu bundle? Do you not? Did you get a promotional price on Disney Plus? They sort of dug this grave for themselves by uh, like offering too much of a discount when Disney Plus was new. But it is going up to $140 annually. That is just, that is so much money for um, Bluey. Which, if, if listen, I am not describing a sex act. I'm describing a children's TV show about a talking dog. And you know whether you have children or not based on whether you needed me to explain that. I will say, I mean, kids love their Bluey. So maybe it's one of those things where, like, for families, this seems completely reasonable. Well, it's so obvious that this is a price hike where they really tested what is the outer limit of how much we can torture people with children uh, and everyone else, they'll pay or they won't. 
But yeah, if you have a child who insists on watching the Disney princesses or Bluey, uh, okay, you have no choice but to pay for this. It's not an option. You are not thinking about it. What you are maybe thinking about is maybe I should cancel my Netflix instead. Or maybe I can downgrade to that Netflix plan with ads because I am the adult. I can explain to myself why I can't watch Suits tonight. I cannot explain to the four-year-old why they can't watch Bluey on the iPad. You know what I mean? I do. Interesting then that Netflix has now brought in John Lasseter. To... So many odd, interesting choices there. They, they we, we didn't get into this animation stuff, but Netflix canceled a bunch of their in-house animation and then hooked up with the most infamous member of the Pixar team, John Lasseter, the most canceled man in all of children's animation, uh, and brought him in, which must be real nice if you just got laid off from your animation job at Netflix Studios. Yeah. So, I mean, he does have quite the hit-making track record. Yeah, he does. He does. So, you know, I'm not endorsing this decision for the record. No, and I am not endorsing canceling Disney Plus if you have a toddler, because I don't want you to get hurt. No, I, I, I do what you need to do to be safe. That's correct. But if you, like me, are a grown adult watching comic book and space shows on Disney Plus, you are going to ask yourself, how much are those comic book and space shows worth? And let me tell you, not $140. In defense of nerds everywhere, some of the spaceships are cool. Sure, some of the spaceships are cool. And like two of the shows are. Mm-hmm. They all got, one of them has space whales. Did you see the space whales? Didn't Star Trek do whales in a movie? Yeah, they did Earth whales who were necessary to save space. That's a completely different type of whale. How could I be so confused? My apologies. The whales in Star Trek did not have a warp drive inside their bellies that you could ride across the galaxy. These whales do, which is fascinating. But also why? And was that supposed to be the cathartic moment of the season? Here we go, riding the whales across the galaxy. Frankly, I still don't know what show this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, because we we chose not to review it, the show I will not name. You figured oh. it out. You figured it out. Space whales, which I now know are a reference that if you're so deep in the Star Wars TV shows that you've watched all the cartoons, you're like, yeah, the space whales. The Purgles, yeah. The problem with the Disney Plus Star Wars strategy here is you're supposed to be attracting new viewers. New viewers. Don't know. Didn't work. Ah, I just, they seem to have missed some television-related memos at Disney Plus, which brings us to our other Disney Plus story. Uh, This one, admittedly, it's a little old now. It's two weeks old. It came out after we recorded our last episode. Uh, but I, I read it at an airport. And I did a spit take with my beer. So violent, I was worried they would ask me to leave. Uh, why was I doing such a dramatic spit take, you might ask? Well, because of an exciting report that at Disney, they're uh, mad researchers who do all of this important research to determine how to make entertainment. They heard that Disney was making TV shows for Disney Plus, and they they thought, 
I wonder if anyone has ever made a TV show before. And so they spent years researching this while making the comic book and spaceship TV shows we've been discussing. And they came to a conclusion long after all the rest of us did that this is not how you make a TV show. Diane, did you see this news? <laughs> I did. I found it, its arrogance remarkable. Just, I just... Like, oh, we don't need showrunners to make our TV shows. Yeah, I just... I, well, who makes them then? Who Who is running the show? It turns out no one. It turns out, well, Kevin Feige runs the studio, and then we hire someone to write the show, and they're in charge for a little bit, but then they're not in charge once they're done. And then we hand it to some directors to direct the show, and they're in charge for a little bit, and then they're done. And then we hand it to the VFX people, and they're in charge for a little bit, and then we overwork them and they threaten to strike. And then they repeat that process until the shows don't make sense and the CGI is bad. And that is basically the current Marvel story. Did I did I oversimplify it? No, it also makes so much sense looking back on some of the shows and like why they were so uneven. Yeah, and why they often could not stick a landing to save their lives. Even the ones mm -hmm. I liked. I liked She-Hulk. I liked Ms. Marvel. I liked uh, WandaVision. All of them. All of them completely stumbled at the ending because there was no ending that any one person created. There was a bunch of, well, we shot, we wrote this, but then we shot this, but then we did the VFX for this, and we don't like this part, but we do like that part. And if we rearrange them and do some reshoots and make the VFX people work 90-hour weeks, we'll sort of have an ending. Kind of. Yeah, that's um, not compelling viewing. No, no, it's it's not compelling at all. Uh, and and so the big takeaway here is that Marvel has decided they will make TV shows the way that TV shows are made, such as <laughs> having a showrunner who is the showrunner through the entire season, not just some of it, all of it. Having a showrunner who has to write a pilot and a show Bible which pitches where the show will go, and what will happen on it before they greenlight filming an entire season of television. And the example in this article is the new Daredevil show, teased in She-Hulk over a year ago. They've, they've ordered this classic Marvel TV at this point. They ordered two seasons at once, and you're like, oh, great, two seasons, so you're going to make a TV show. And they said, no, we're going to write all two seasons at once, we're going to film all two seasons at once, and then we're just going to release them spread out, which is not how you make two seasons of most TV shows. Just typically no. Uh, there are exceptions, but, like, that's weird. And then th the strike happened in the middle of production, and they had a minute to watch the, like, half of the half a season, or it, it's unclear to me if they'd finished more or less all of season one or just, like, half of season one. They were halfway through their filming, and Kevin Feige and company, the, the honchos at Marvel, went, nah, that ain't it. Really late in the process to go, oh, that ain't it, but okay, sure. And so they, not fired, they've released all all of the writers and directors from those episodes. They will get credit and some payment because they're going to keep some of the scenes and some of the... I, I, I don't know how they're going to piece this together at this point, but okay, they're going to keep some of what they did. But they are also going to hire all new writers, all new directors, and reshoot basically all of it. 
The most ridiculous part of this to me is that Daredevil was already a good show. Yes, there was a template for how to make this show successful with the existing actor playing the main character. Like, not hard to at least start there and build out from there. And instead, it appears they really did a hard reset. Um, according to this article, Daredevil didn't show up in his, uh, you know, iconic superhero outfit until like halfway through the first season. Which, for a show that is... Uh, Introducing a brand new superhero is already frustrating, but for a show that is essentially continuing an existing superhero story, actor, and character from an existing superhero, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And the idea that they didn't think that they should consider these strategies just, yeah, it, it feels arrogant. That it took this long. And so, actually, we have a, a link in addition to the main article. I threw a link in the show notes from the AV Club uh, where they make a very good counter-argument, which uh, I'm going to just read you the headline because I think it says it so well. Marvel's TV experiment wasn't a failure until Marvel decided it was. Which is more or less correct. I would say quality-wise, it was a failure the whole time in some ways. Uh, but what really happened here is Marvel decided we need a beat. We just had the big strike. Our theatrical strategy is scrambled. The shows are not that good. Secret Invasion was a definitive flop, both popular popularity-wise and creatively. Like, I don't know anyone who has anything nice to say about Secret Invasion besides I did not watch it. That is the kindest compliment you can give that show. And it seems that to consider the theatrical and the TV series successes unrelated seems unfair because I think that part of the problem with Marvel's latest theatricals is the existence of the TV shows and the low quality of the TV shows. Yeah, I think there's a good argument to be made that they're fueling each other's problems right now. And if they were standing on their own, they would do better. I, I still think the best Marvel TV show is ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because that was like a seven-season procedural show about Marvel-adjacent things. Disney, once they decided to launch the Marvel shows on Disney+, Plus, truly seemed to have zero interest in revisiting the era of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're embarrassed by that. It's too network, which is the wrong takeaway because, again, it ran something like seven seasons successfully on network television. I don't know why you are avoiding the obvious lessons from your own previous products. It seems it seems very uh, foolhardy. It does indeed. And, and all I have to say is we'll keep following this because there's so much happening at Disney. There's one more Disney uh, topic I want to touch on because at Disney, you always have to Follow the money. And we recently got a rare glimpse into the real money at Disney. In particular, they had a regulatory filing that required them to reveal uh, some of the economics of the ESPN unit, which is baked deep into Disney at this point, but they, they have not always owned ESPN. They bought ESPN in the 90s, and it was the cash cow that they rode through the Marvel acquisition and the Pixar acquisition and the Star Wars acquisition. How did they pay for that? 
How did they pay to launch Disney Plus? ESPN money. And so we now know a bit about the size of ESPN's business, and it is more profitable currently, more profitable than all of Disney Entertainment, all of ABC, Disney Plus, Disney Movies, all of that, while uh, larger, makes less profit for Disney. And so the numbers on the profit side are just fascinating. Uh, the latest filing shows that for fiscal year 2022, which just, uh, which I should say was the fiscal year from October 2021 to October 2022, so we were talking about a year ago now, but for that fiscal year, ESPN delivered $2.9 billion in profit for Disney, compared to $2.1 billion for the rest of the Disney Entertainment Unit. And it seems like this money was coming largely from carriage fees. Yeah, that's the catch, is most of it is just from cable packages paying to carry ESPN. Mm. Which in some ways is free money, but also, as we all know, is a dwindling pot of free money that is going to disappear one day. I, I guess they're counting on something like the streaming services that they have to be profitable by the time the cable properties are no longer profitable. And I think we got a hint of this with the charter deal we've discussed at length uh, that brings uh, Disney Plus into a lot of Spectrum and charter cable packages. But also uh, Disney had to promise that when they launch an ESPN standalone service, that uh, the higher tier charter packages will get to include that as well, which is essentially a modification of the carriage fee. They're, they're wise to look at it and go, we make most of our money on ESPN from the carriage fees we charge the cable providers. And we will eventually make a lot of money on ESPN selling it direct to consumers and over-the-top service. But there is definitely going to be a long transition there where we need to make money from both the direct-to-consumer and the carriage fees. And so we better find a way to merge those two businesses so that the cable companies can continue to pay us the carriage fees because we need them. We need them. Yeah. There really isn't much more to that story than just, wow, look at these numbers. But let me tell you, Diane, wow, look at these numbers. I mean, we don't get that much hard data from this sector. So getting this information really is illuminating. No, and it does uh, shine a light on why is Bob Iger happily uh, suggesting that he would leave the Disney Channel out by a ditch on the side of the road if somebody would like to pick it up from him. He'd leave ABC at the pound if you're willing to adopt a gently used, very friendly network animal. But He'd just euthanize Freeform. Yeah, yeah, he would. Uh, but ESPN, we're looking for a strategic partner to co-parent with us. Mm. Yes, that's because... There's a lot of money sitting there, still, not ready to give it up. But you know what else is not ready to give up? Us. And our review of the week. Ah, yes, it's time to talk about Dr. Crane. And of course, we're going to start our journey into the Fraser-verse by discussing our love of Frasier, parentheses, 1993, the original Frasier series that was, of course, a spinoff of Cheers. Uh, Diane, I am thankful uh, that I was too young to really remember much of Cheers, except that I didn't get it. Interesting. I don't think I've watched it live very often as a kid, but I remember watching reruns of it when it was already old. 
And I I find Cheers very charming. Yeah, in hindsight, charming. As a child, I, I didn't understand, uh, even in reruns, I, the, the setup, the bar, what are their relationships to each other, all of that kind of foreign to me, a uh, sober child. Now, I deeply understand Cheers, but <laughs> I fell in love with Frasier first. And of course, the, the premise of Frasier is the beloved Dr. Frasier Crane from the Cheers bar in Boston moves to Seattle to care for his gruff uh, former cop father. And of course, they have to live together because that's how you make it a sitcom setup. It's the odd couple. And that's why Frasier is a classic. Agreed. It's the odd couple. And it had some uh, outstanding cast yes. and really very clever writing. Yes. All things I can definitely say about Frasier, parentheses, 1993. And so uh, to share our love of classic Frasier and to kind of establish what is Frasier, because one thing I don't want to do in our, our discussion of the reboot, I don't want to pile on to new Frasier for being new or for not being old Frasier. Frasier is a vibe. Frasier is not the collection of people. You can't have Frasier without Frasier. But you can have Frasier without my beloved Niles, Daphne, and Roz. It's different, but Frasier is about Frasier and the vibe of Frasier. And so to give Frasier, parentheses 2023, a fair shake, I thought it was important for us to establish the baseline vibe. What is the vibe of Frasier Crane? And so, Diane, I thought I'd start with you. What is one of your classics that you think anyone should watch if they want to love Frasier? I narrowed it down to three, and I'm very curious if we chose any of the same ones. I, I also narrowed it down to three for the exact same reason. We said we would each bring two, but I was like, there's probably going to be some overlap. I want to know. What's okay, your first? So my first choice is Moondance. I did not pick Moondance. Tell me about the episode Moondance. It's in the third season, and it's a very strong uh, will-they-won't-they they episode between Daphne, uh, who is um, Frasier's father, Martin's physical therapist, who comes to live with them, uh, the delightfully baddie Daphne Moon, and Frasier's brother, Niles, David Hyde Pierce, um, who I think is just maybe one of the uh, best sitcom characters of the 20th century. They managed to get through almost the whole series without them hooking up. Uh, Which is wild. It does strain credulity at a certain point. It takes a long time. And uh, in this episode, uh, Niles is um, separated from his wife and takes Daphne to a dance. And uh, they take dancing lessons. It has a lot of the sort of... Um, uh, mistaken identity farcical tropes that um, Frasier did so well uh, and just you know some great romantic tension between these two very funny very gifted leads it's just absolutely charming oh that is a great example of a classic Frasier and I, I be honest I can't remember that specific one but as you describe it I can picture it and that is the core of Good Frasier. Once you know these characters, you can describe an episode to me and I can see it even if I never saw it. 
Uh, and much of the best episodes of Frasier circle around that mistaken identity kind of farcical game of telephone element. And so uh, for my first recommendation, I am going to pick an episode titled The Ski Lodge. Are you familiar? Is that on your list? It wasn't, but it was in, in close contention. Yes. It's fantastic. I mean, The Ski Lodge could have been written by Noel Coward. Yes. This is season five, episode 14. It is essentially a bottle episode. The premise, I love how they established this in the opening uh, bumper. Uh, Roz wins a weekend at a ski lodge. Roz is Frazier's producer at the uh, uh, radio show where he is the call-in therapist, in case you've never heard of Frazier. Uh, <laughs> and Roz, delightful character, Roz is not athletic. Uh, Roz is sober. Roz is single. Roz has nothing to do with this ski vacation, but she won it. And she's like, no, I'm going to keep this for myself, Frasier. And he obviously wants it so badly. And by the end of the 30 second interaction, he's given her a flat screen TV and taken her ticket to the ski lodge. And of course, he brings everyone because it's Frasier. So he brings Niles. He brings Marty, his father. And he has to bring Daphne because Daphne's got to care for Marty. Niles wants to come to be with Daphne to try to get the moves on. On Daphne. Daphne wants to bring her baddie friend, who is this gorgeous female Olympian, who we quickly establish is not the brightest crayon in the box. <laughs> and they all go to the ski lodge, where they're going to be taught by a world-renowned ski instructor, who we quickly learn is gay, and has the hots for Niles, who has the hots for Daphne. Daphne doesn't know that. Daphne thinks Niles has the hots for her friend, because her friend has the hots for Niles. But who has the hots for Daphne's friend? What's Fraser? crane and how do they all get mixed up well marty has a cold so he can't hear very clearly and continuously mistakes who they're talking about and then encourages someone to pursue the wrong person it's utterly perfect if this is your kind of comedy absolutely sublime and it really is very clever Yes, it is. It it sounds overly simplistic and dopey, but that's just because the premise is is clean. The premise makes very clear who wants what, and you get to sit back and watch as their wires get crossed over and over and over again. Another farce trope that I just love so much that this uh, that the ski lodge does really well is the multiple doors with people coming yes. in and out of doors. I mean. There's a reason that these are classic forms of entertainment and seeing them just done expertly like this is really satisfying. It makes me feel kind of like a like a Frasier type connoisseur. You know? yes. That's like, I appreciate the finer things like a nice episode of Frasier 1993. Oh, so true. A nice Barolo and a nice episode of Frasier, 1993. It's an excellent vintage. Oh, it's so good. Well, tell me more. Uh, what is another of your choice uh, picks from the vineyard of classic Frasier? My Coffee with Niles is from the first season. I think it's also one of those episodes that's really when the show hit their stride. I mean, they came out of the gate strong, like it's a good pilot. But I think some of their experimentation with form uh, and the playfulness that the show took on as it developed is really embodied by this episode, which is uh, basically a parody of My Dinner with Andre. 
which you wouldn't think would necessarily work on network television. But even if you don't know that it's a parody of My Dinner with Andre, it's just a very funny, again, a bottle episode um, that takes place uh, at Cafe Nervosa. Yeah, it's like a 23-minute conversation between Fraser and Niles. And it's really good. It doesn't, you know, it's a, it's uh, full of joke after joke. Like the joke per minute ratio is very high, um, especially for like a, a laugh track show. It doesn't feel like um, the sort of hit rate that you sometimes get with those shows when they've reached their like sixth, seventh, eighth season where it starts to sag. It's still really punchy and good. Um, I, I love it. It's so funny. That's classic. It's the season one finale. Classic Frasier. And I happen to know from my own research, it is only one of two episodes of Frasier that takes place in real time, where the uh, runtime of the episode is essentially real time to what's happening. And the other episode that takes place in real time is my second pick. It's season six, episode 17, The Dinner Party where Niles and Frasier plan and then abort a dinner party in the course of a 23-minute conversation at uh, Frasier's apartment. An outstanding piece of television. Absolutely delightful. It cuts to the core of the Niles-Frasier relationship perfectly. And it's something that if you know that dynamic, it's very enjoyable for a million reasons. But I think it works even if you don't really know that dynamic very well, because they fill in the all the blanks in who they are in that hour it is just a character study on the two of them with the added element of this excellent dripping in of a b story with marty who has to rearrange his poker game to accommodate the dinner party repeatedly so he's there even though he's off in another space doing something else and then daphne and Roz having a separate like c story going on that just punches in at the right times to keep things kind of light and energetic in what is otherwise a very talky episode but this show did talky well it really they did got- They got that uh, sort of sork and pace, even though it's a 23 minutes ago. Yes, it actually is like it's the most Sorkin-esque writing of a comedy. Like this is in some ways, I think the writing that Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip wished they had, but it was the wrong era of Sorkin at that point. Uh, It worked better here where it is tight but light. Yes, exactly. There's an effervescence to this comedy. Okay, you said you had a third episode. I want to know what it is. Uh, the Innkeepers, which is um, when Fraser and Niles decide to open a restaurant uh, for one night. <laughs> it, in many ways, it's very similar to The Dinner Party. A, a just um, great situation comedy. Oh, yeah. I'll throw in one more. There's a couple that are rattling around in my head that I didn't write down, but have floated up in my memory stack as I've been rewatching Frasier. There's a Christmas one where Frasier has to pretend to be Jewish just to impress (laughs) the mother of a woman he's started dating. And of course, it's the most over-contrived solution to the miscommunication problem. And somehow Niles is playing Jesus in a pageant at the same night. And so he comes in and out of the apartment dressed as Christ. 
excellent farcical element. The other one that I cannot think of the name of, but so appropriate, uh, is an episode where Niles wants to rebel because he never rebelled. So he eats a pot brownie, but he doesn't realize that it's not actually his pot brownie because Marty, who was instructed to give a brownie, a mysterious brownie to Niles, ate the pot brownie (laughs) and then replaced it with a real brownie. And so Niles spends the episode thinking he's really high and Marty spends the episode thinking that he's just having the most enlightened day of his life, having the deepest thoughts ever. And it is so good for such a simple premise again. Uh, But the one I do have the title of, and is also excellent for a simple premise, is season eight, uh, episode 15, Hooping Cranes. I like this one because it is a late, later-in-the-run episode, and the plot is essentially uh, Marty drags the kids, uh, Niles and Frazier, to a Seattle Supersonics game, because they had that NBA franchise at the time, and Niles makes a fluke uh, mid-court shot, the kind of thing where they would pick somebody random at the audience to take this impossible shot, and Niles makes it, and because of that, becomes sort of the, the chosen son, because he can do one athletic thing. And the the bitterness, the feud that develops with Frazier over that, mm, chef's kiss. Outstanding stuff. I think that um, that sh- that episode for me too shows like what you can do if you have a series that's running for like you know eight plus seasons. You have to get a little out there in the plot. Would you have thought in the first season of Frasier that they would be you know have a show? that takes place in an NBA stadium. Uh, no, doesn't seem likely, but they make it work and they play up the fish out of water elements, you know, really outstanding. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, all of these fantastic old episodes of Frasier 1993, an excellent classic sitcom that can do no wrong. So now let's discuss Frasier parentheses 2023. And I'm sorry that's all the time we have this week. It's been so good joining you. To, oh, no, we actually have to talk about it? Oh, no. Little optimistic after episode one. Yeah, actually, let's start with the premise of Frasier 2023 is fine. Uh, the premise is that Frasier spent uh, like a decade and a half hosting a Dr. Phil-style daytime, you know, pop psychology TV show, that he was extremely successful, but doing something a little frivolous. And then he decided to quit that, and his father died, and he went to his father's funeral and decided to start a new chapter in his life. And so he decided to go reconnect with his son, Freddy, because, you know, dad dying, he wants to be a better dad. Freddy, a character who notoriously only ever appeared in 11 episodes of the original series, the original series which ran 11 seasons of network television. (laughs) Freddy was always sort of just there when the plot required Frasier to have a son. He mostly lived in Boston with Frasier's ex, and so he was irrelevant to 90% of the Frasier plots. Uh, But none of the other actors are alive and or returning for Frasier 2023, so I think they made a a reasonable choice to make it about Frasier reconnecting with Freddy and flipping the narrative where instead of Frasier having a uh, blue-collar dad, Frasier has a blue-collar son. Freddy is a Harvard dropout who is now a firefighter. Okay, 
That's that's the setup, basically. And the pilot of the three episodes we've seen so far is the best of the three. It, it has such a hard job to set up this new premise and make it believable that Frasier would stop by for a day and then get roped into teaching at Harvard full time. But sure, it does achieve that necessary checklist of things to establish why Frasier now lives in Boston. Not just lives in Boston, but lives in an apartment with his son, which they just shoehorn in by having Frasier buy the entire apartment building because Frasier is rich now. Sure, all of that, okay. Unfortunately, that was the best of the three episodes. Two was the best. Really? Interestingly. Two was yeah. Fine. I li- I liked I, three I was really rough going for me. I after two I was kinda like, oh, this could maybe work. I just felt that like in episode one, it did set out the premise, but like I don't think I laughed aloud one time. I there was no. it just did not have the Fraser wit. And I get that, you know, it is new, but it felt kind of like if Frasier had been reprocessed as a Chuck Lorre show. Um, as a as a CBS show. Ironically, Frasier, always a Paramount product, now airing on Paramount Plus, a CBS brand. But Frasier, the original Frasier, even though it was a Paramount product, always felt like an NBC show. It did, yeah. And like a high point among NBC shows, yeah. I think. For its time. So, uh, yeah, it just felt like um, the jokes were bad. The jokes were just really, really hacky. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that this is the writer's fault because maybe they're getting bad network notes. Uh, Maybe their star is very particular about what kind of work he's doing now. Um, But it just, the, the pilot, I was like, it's convoluted in the way that like an episode of Frasier might be because there'd be these hijinks that would make things complex, but there's no payoff and they're not reaping the humor of this, these moments of complication. So I just, I really, it really did not work for me as a pilot. And I was shocked that that was what they went with after, you know, all this time. Well, and it turns out that is only one of many ideas they could have gone with. Uh, We have an interview linked in the show notes from Vulture. Unlike last episode where I said I had an interview from Vulture in the show notes, this time I remembered to include it. Sorry if you went uh, desperately looking for the hot takes about The Golden Bachelor last time. That is also in the show notes this time if for some reason you're still dying to understand Roxana Hadidi's take. My bad. But this time I did include an interview with the two new writers. And what I really took away from this is that they had a bunch of ideas for how to reboot Frasier, and so much of it was a question of who is willing to come back to reboot Frasier, and how will we make that make sense? Uh, One example is they talked about wanting originally to show Martin's funeral, uh, Frasier's dad, Marty Crane, to actually have his funeral be a scene in the pilot, which, number one, sounds awful. I already didn't laugh enough in the pilot. I would have laughed even less if it had involved a funeral of a beloved character. Maybe they could have made it funny by having him have a really funny funeral. Okay. But in order for that to work, they acknowledge they would have needed at least Niles and Daphne. It would have been really weird if they were not at Marty's funeral. 
and neither Agreed. of them are coming back. And and there was another pitch, which uh, sounds bizarre as I describe it, where the uh, the not just the pilot, the whole reboot was going to be about Niles and Frazier owning a black box theater, which does track to them owning the restaurant in the one episode. There there was some inspiration there. Uh, but that premise involved Niles coming back, and David Hyde Pierce did not want to revisit the character. Uh, lots of words about how he was very polite and nice about it, uh, but it, at the end, it was very clear that they would have had him back if he had wanted to come back. But he said, I'm not gonna do Niles again. And honestly, for David Hyde Pierce, and, yeah, with the career he's had, I, I don't know why he needs to do Niles again. If he didn't feel like it would be fulfilling, no reason to do it. Uh, and so they couldn't do that. And so they wound up with the best of what they could assemble from what they had. Uh, they said some versions of their idea did not involve him getting a job at Harvard. I don't know what that show would have been like, but I don't love the Harvard plot at all. It's supposed to be a step, a kind of a stand in for the radio show that, you know, he has there's work Frasier and home Frasier. That was always true of Frasier. There was work Frasier with Roz and the people at uh, the kcr whatever and then there was home fraser with daphne and niles and marty uh and so they're trying to recreate that a bit i don't know if recreating that was the best choice it 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 struggles to define the show differently like as we said before i don't want to judge it by just comparing it to the old one but here's a place where you literally invite that comparison by recreating the formula of the old one uh, and I, 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 I so far have had very little engagement or interest in any of his shenanigans as a professor. They create a new best friend for him whose personality trait could best be defined as alcoholic. Uh, funny alcoholic. Eh. And then they give him Niles's son as a stand-in for Niles, more or less, which, again, they're just sort of inviting it by literally having it be Niles' son. And Niles' son spends way too much time with Frasier. Just already way too much time. But in this interview, they point out he's the one who can follow Frasier between his work life and his home life. Mm. No. I mean, I actually do enjoy the scenes with Niles' son because I think of the new cast, he can do this type of dialogue best. He is He good. nails it more than the other actors. And that's not, I don't know, it may just be uh, like a balance of writing and acting. I, I have no doubt that anyone getting cast on a network sitcom is talented. I'm sure these folks have, you know, chops, but they're just not not landing with the material. I, yeah. I think this is my my biggest issue with the reboot is uh, the Freddy character is not at all a Marty stand-in. He is not different from Frasier. He is, a let you know, supposed to be this working class character. He's a fireman. And they have, you know, a couple scenes with his fireman buddies. But uh, he's very haughty and cocky in a way that makes him seem like Frasier's son, but it does not make him seem different from Frasier. It just feels like two Frasiers having a conversation and one of them happens to like, you know, sh Sherry and one likes Fenway, but the way that they express those feelings about it, both feel like Frasiers. Yeah. There's no Niles to balance it. There's no Marty. And I really think that 
they miscalculated thinking that what Marty was, was working class when what Marty was, was down to earth and a different form of humor. Uh, it's, it's just like his energy was different and that energy is sorely lacking in the reboot. Yeah, and when they try to channel that, it doesn't feel earned. When there's a whole um, little trope basically about uh, Freddy wanting to move his neon beer sign and his Fenway Park dirt into the new apartment, it just feels like a rehash of a much, much funnier beat that happened in the pilot of Frasier 1993 about Marty wanting his recliner in the living room. Mm -hmm. And for Marty, it was a bigger deal, and it mattered more, and it was about his space and his comfort. And for uh, Freddie, none of it seems to matter that much. He just puts it in his room, and it's a bit of a moment where when uh, Frazier's like, you can put the Fenway Park dirt out here, I guess. None of it feels important to either of them, really. It just kind of feels like sparring for sparring's sake, which was not Marty. Marty was different. Marty was somebody who Frazier wanted to get out of his house, but also loved deeply. And Marty felt the same way about Frazier in so many ways. And I just don't feel like there's the odd couple tension between Freddie and Frazier. Either of them could easily just go move across the hall. Frazier owns the whole building. There isn't really conflict between them. No, there's not. And there's not that much love. So it's kind of like, what are we doing here? Also, it seems like Frasier, the character Frasier, is in basically every single scene. So there isn't effectively any B-plot. So far, it's, no. It, it's it, just a, 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 and that's tedious. Yeah, it's lacking. It's, it's wild to be tedious on such a short show. Yeah, I literally had to look at some of the run times because I felt like this is going on long. And in reality, it was just, no, it's just one long A story with no relief of a wacky B story. Give me a wacky story involving Niles's son that that helps me love that character more. Give me a wacky story involving Freddy. Any story involving Freddy that is not just... Well, I'm a firefighter, and my firefighter friend died, and we were like brothers, so now I feel a responsibility to his uh, girlfriend and their baby. Which is the most—listen, I, I understand it, it could be inspired by something that really happened to someone, and there's beautiful stakes in that if it's happening to you in the real world. In the sitcom world, that is not a character that is boring. I agree, and I actually would love to see more of— Jane, the yes, and I the actually kind of like girlfriend. her. Seems like a good performance. She's got a great energy. I'm interested in her, but there was uh, some some business in episode three where she was going on an audition, and uh, Freddie was helping her prepare for the audition. And I was like, oh, that seemed like it could be an interesting story, and we never see it develop without being about Frasier's A-plot. And so I was like, oh, so I don't care about this. This is a setup for a couple of jokes that you're not going to land. It was rough. Yeah. 
And I have questions too uh, that, that I did not need. I didn't need these questions introduced in the third episode, but suddenly I'm asking, why is she an actress in Boston? Is her goal to be a Hollywood actor? I just suddenly there was so little for me to do with the the scene where Freddie and her are running the lines together that I started asking all of these unnecessary logic questions about why any of them are doing anything the only person whose motivations i understand are frasers and they're a stretch but they make sense and then like his boss at harvard she just wants to get one up on her sister who's the boss at yale which is so thin and stupid but at least i understand it yeah i actually you know i thought she could be more interesting too maybe if they give her some stuff to do we'll see she can also pull off the dialogue convincingly. she can yeah You know, they're all good actors, and most of our feeling is that they're being given very, very little to work with. Yeah, that is exactly how I feel. And also, like, I was giving this show so much benefit of the doubt. I went in, I watched the pilot, I wanted to like it. And I, I, I fully teared up a little bit when they showed John Mahoney at the end, because I, I, know. I love, I love Frasier. And I and and I have such fond memories of him as Marty. That is an iconic character to me. And when they made a moment of, you know, this is all in honor of this man and his character, I felt that. And then I felt mm-hmm. so bad that the show doesn't do anything anywhere close to the quality that he, he brought, let alone that whole ensemble when they were all working together. Yeah, and I wonder how much longer I'll have as a viewer to keep giving this more shots. Like, I might keep watching. I might be done, especially when I could watch, you know, season after season of the original on another streamer. Yeah. Maybe, you know. Yeah. This is sort of how I felt about uh, the reboot of Night Court, which we talked about earlier this year. And I liked the reboot of Night Court more than I liked the reboot of Frasier. But mostly the reboot of Night Court made me want to go watch old, better episodes of Night Court. And that is such a risk with rebooting a beloved show that has such a deep catalog. Agreed. Though you found that the Night Court reboot grew on you over the season, right? Did you yes, keep up with it? Though I did not finish the season. I hit one episode that I wasn't loving and didn't finish that episode and then fell off the season because I didn't finish that episode. But I could just skip that episode and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I might give this another shot. Yeah, I'm not definitive one way or another, but I, I will say the trend is not in a good direction. I might wait to see if there's some surprise hot takes at the end of the season that say they really turned it around or they figured out what to do with Freddy. Because right now, I think the biggest problem is they don't know what to do with Freddy and they don't really know who Freddy is because the Freddy we see on this show seems to have nothing to do with the Freddy we met multiple times on the old show. Yes, that's confusing, too. They totally abandoned the character of Freddy. I mean, which you could get away with because he was a child. But yeah, that's, and like we said, he was only in 11 episodes. That, that's not that's not my problem. The problem is you didn't replace him with anything. So now there's no history to grab onto and no new present to look at. It really it hurts because I'm like, here is a very attractive man with a very square jaw. That's what I got about Freddy. Yeah, fireman is not a personality, it's an occupation. No. 
No, it it hurts. It hurts. I wanted to share my um, wild crackpot idea for what I would have done instead of this show because I just have to tell you. Uh, okay. In in the third episode, we get the third episode is all about Fraser teaching his first class at Harvard, which goes terribly. Even though in the previous two episodes, every interaction he had with a student went perfectly, uh, and in this episode, uh, we learn that Fraser is embarrassed by his antics as a TV host all these years, and we get to see a few clips from the Dr. Crane TV show that existed in the, you know, decades between Frasers. So this was never something that was part of the original show. This is what he did in the in-between. And the scenes from the Dr. Crane TV show are funnier than any single moment, any whole episode of the new Frasier, and they are stupid. But they are so funny, and they so needle this thing of, Frasier, he wants to be highbrow, but actually, he really connects with people when he gets a little lowbrow and down-to-earth, which was always the success of Frasier as a vibe. It was, here are these very highbrow, snooty, wine-drinking people, but you find it funny when they have a sex farce. Because Mm -hmm. that's relatable, and it lowers them to the working class, so to speak. It was the genius of that show, and why it worked on network TV for over a decade. Uh, And there's a hint of that in the ridiculous stuff he was doing on his uh, fake TV show within a TV show, where he puts on a funny thinking hat, where at one scene, he is throwing axes labeled self-esteem at his co-host pinned up against a board like he's going to shoot the arrow off of uh, William Tell's, uh, the apple on William Tell's head. Like, it's stupid, over the top, but just, just enough that it's within the realm of possibility. And I just want to watch the show about his 14 or 15 years, whatever it was, living in Chicago, making this bad daytime talk show. Because there's a Frasier with actual tension. Instead, they picked after the tension is over, after he has quit that thing and is trying to do a new thing. But there's less tension in that because he's already rich and it's just about his ego now. And his ego is sort of an interesting character trait, but it is not very active when, yeah, his ego is like, I can be a guest lecturer at Harvard. But if they fire me, oh, well, I'm rich. It's just for my, you know, self-esteem. I'd be so much more interested in him struggling with those self-esteem questions while hosting an incredibly successful TV show with a workplace element and a family element that is much more, let's say, the vibe of Frasier than whatever this is. Oh, I totally agree. I I have a pitch for a Frasier spinoff. I want to hear it. But I will admit it is a Frasier spinoff and not a Frasier reboot because I think part of the reason that Frasier was good and Cheers was good is that Frasier was very, very different from Cheers. It was its own unique thing. And I would like to do a Roz spinoff. I knew it. And she's the best. Okay, so we put, I don't know the particulars of why this is happening, but Roz and Daphne move to London and Roz is continuing her career there. And so we have you know, down-to-earth, saucy minx Roz among these, uh, you know, like, effete, uh, elitist London She's working at the BBC now, is what you're saying. She's at the B. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that would be so good. 
And it could be, you know, different enough. You can do the female perspective. You can have, uh, you know, more of Roz's dating life, which was always uh, laughed at in a way that I think sometimes hasn't aged particularly well for the show. I would agree. Uh, And I think, you know, that could be something that they'd embrace. Oh, I love this pitch. I would watch that spinoff a hundred times. I think David Hyde Pierce, you might be able to get him for that spinoff because it's a new world for Niles. It's a Daphne-focused show. Yeah. Maybe, and he he wouldn't have to be on that much. No, no. Right? I he doesn't have to be a lead. Pitch. They should so. have. They should have just given us two Frasier shows. One about Frasier alone in Chicago. One about <laughs> Niles, Daphne, and Roz living it up in jolly old England. I would have watched both of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm Sign me up. It's not too late. But, yeah, but Fraser going back to London, or to Boston, calling it Beantown in the same song, felt oh. like a regression. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And I, I do wonder, like, did it need to be Boston? I, I just, I don't know. They do some, they, they wink at cheers, but I don't know why. Nobody cares anymore. It doesn't, unless you're going to go to the Cheers bar. Why are you in Boston? Yeah, or bring back some of the Cheers cast. Yes, which they did do occasionally on Frasier 1993. It's just such a weird choice to to put it there, but not have any of that. To bring in Niles' son, but not have any of Niles or Daphne. To, to bring in Freddy, but not have it be like the old Freddy. Too many choices where it's like, I, you just, y- you should pick. Is it a new thing or not? Both are choices, but you're not really choosing. Will Ted Danson do a cameo? Oh, I would watch every episode up and through that cameo in order to fully appreciate the Ted Danson cameo. Said as someone who uh, accidentally forced his parents to watch the pilot of The Good Place recently, which somehow they have either never seen or have completely forgotten that they saw. Either way, delightful to watch them experience it. Great show, great show. Ah, perfect show. And you know... Friends, listeners, if you have a perfect show in mind, or maybe just a perfect episode of uh, Frasier, you can email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. Tell us about that show. Tell us what we should be watching. The holidays are coming up. Plenty of time to binge uh, some back catalog shows. We want to know, what are you binging? Tell us, podcast at streamageddon.com. But until then, Seattle, we're always listening to your feedback, whether it come in an email or by rating us on the podcast app of your choice. But remember, if we can give you one piece of advice always, it's to keep Keep streaming. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Oh my. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. So I actually read about this uh, theme song years ago. I, I Not part of the reboot of Frasier, but uh, why is it Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs? Yeah. They, they uh, went to the man who wrote this theme song, bless whoever he is. I, again, read this years ago. Do not remember any details. Cannot prove any of this is true. Uh, but they said to him, well, you know, Frasier, he just moved from Boston to Seattle. He doesn't really know people. He's living with his father. He's really disoriented, basically. It's kind of like life's upside down, topsy-turvy. And he went, I got you. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. 
I I still don't get it, but I love it. And that's Frasier. <laughs> they they should be arrested for just throwing in Bean Town. Whoever did that. 